right, Mark chapter 3, and we'll get started here. Mark chapter number 3. Mark chapter number 3. Uh, we got down to verse number 31 last time, so we're going to uh, kind of pick up here and uh, move on into chapter 4 um, and, uh, and so forth as we go here. And, and again, just kind of reminder of where we're at in Mark. We have, um, it's, it's very interesting here that Mark, we're in Mark 3, the end of Mark 3, and we come immediately to uh, really an extremely part of uh, the life of Christ during his earthly ministry. And uh, we really come quickly to a scenario here in Mark. Again, we're in Mark 3, where Matthew, we don't get into this until Matthew 12, Matthew 13, and then Luke 11, 12, right in there. And yet here we are immediately in Mark. And where we're at is where Christ is being rejected by the leaders of Israel. And uh, the, because of that, then the preaching of the repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand stops. And he now is going to begin to teach in parables. And we're going to look this evening at why is that, because it's re really critical to understand that. But the thing here, though, is we're so early in the gospel of Mark. We're not down the road. We're not into it. I mean, we're right here. And he begins to teach in parables now, really because of their rejection. So again, Mark gets right to the point here. The point is, is that the Messiah came, and the, the Son of God, there he is, the Lord Jesus Christ. You rejected him, and bam, I mean, he just is moving right along. If you look at verse 22, uh, again, Mark is going to show the Lord as the servant, and really here, the servant has been, is being rejected. And now he's going to deal with the opposition. And again, if you look at verse 22, the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casting out. I mean, the, their objection to everything he's been doing, they don't deny the miracles. They don't deny all of that. But they go right to it and they just say, well... He's under the influence of the, uh, of the devil. And so he's, the devil's running his life, and he's operating on the devil's program. And so what he's doing is really devilish. And so Christ answers them, verse 23, And he called unto, uh, them unto him and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? So he begins, he answers them in a parable. And he is going to talk about the kingdom divided, verse 24. And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And then he talks about the strong man. And we went through all that last time. But when he's doing that, he, by the way, the kingdom divided issue, the house divided. Again, that's talking about the kingdom that they know is coming. It's, supposed, it's, on, it's at hand. And guess what? No longer. Then the strong man, that issue we looked at last time back in Jeremiah and Isaiah, you, the only way to move forward in the program is going to be for Satan, to, who is the strong man, to be bound. 
so in, and only the king can do that. And guess what? There's the king. He's here. And again, if you think about Revelation 20, when the Lord comes back, he takes Satan and he binds him with a chain, throws him in the bottomless pit for that thousand year, that introduction to the kingdom. We, we call it the millennial kingdom. He's in the bottomless pit, then he's pulled, then he's let loose, and then he's cast into the lake of fire. But what is he? He's bound. And he, again, so even in that transitional period of the beginning of the kingdom, what Satan is bound. So the reference to the kingdom of God and, and, and so forth has to do with the casting out of Satan, has to do with the casting out of his power, his authority, his dominion over Israel and the earth because he's got them in his clutches. So their reaction, again, wasn't one of, okay, great, woohoo, you know, he's here, but rather of, well, verse 28, he says to them, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme, but he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall never forgiveness but is in danger, I'm sorry, hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. And they don't say, hey, you know, the Messiah is here. Rather, they say he's got the devil and all this other. Um, if you come over to Acts chapter 2, and notice the fallout from them, from really where we're at in Mark 3, because there's an impact of what's happening in Mark 3. By the way, it's Matthew 3, it's Luke 9, 10, 11, right in there. Uh, John doesn't carry a lot of this information because John's doing something else. John, the Gospel of John, you know, I have a couple books on my shelf, and the synopsis of the Gospels, and I'm going to make them all harmonized. Well, they don't. And the reason they don't is because prophecies said, here is four prophetic views of the Messiah. Matthew, he's the king. Mark, he's the servant. Luke, he's the man. And John, he's God. He's deity. And when you go back and you look at those branch statements and behold statements and so forth, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke will kind of jive, but John doesn't because he's doing something different in John. John, there's only eight miracles. Yeah, seven miracles, sorry, that he does. They say the eighth one is the cross, but that's really not in the miracles. And those seven miracles are designed to show that he is Jehovah dash whatever then that compound name is. Why? Because that's who he is. He spends a lot of time in John, John 13 to 17, training the leadership of the little flock in the upper room the night before going to Calvary. So it's always fascinated me when I hear people say to people who are newly saved, go read John. Well, John's a wonderful book, but that's the wrong place to go be reading. You know, one, for us today, read Romans, start in Romans, but just in a general sense, because the Lord isn't talking to a new believer. He's talking to seasoned apostles in a majority of the book. So if you look at Acts 2, notice here verse 22. And I got to fix this so I can just, because it's really just kind of hitting me there. Acts 2, look at verse 22. 
Ye men of Israel, again, this is Peter on the day of Pentecost, verse 14, but Peter standing up, okay? Ye men of Israel, verse 22, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him, notice, in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Notice Jesus Christ, God the Son, he's where? He's in the midst of them. And God the Father is confirming his identity through the miracles that the Spirit of God is performing through him. So in, it's a clear testimony here of who he is. And again, uh, come over to chapter 10 of Acts. He's literally, you know, the Old Testament, they over and over again, uh, get Acts 10, tell of who and how to identify the Messiah when he comes. Look at Acts 10, verse 38. Now God hath anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. You see, they had a witness. There are the apostles, the, the little flock. The Messiah was in their midst, and it was validated by the miracles and by his activity. If you go back to Isaiah 35, it's got 10 verses in that chapter, and all, all, every verse is saying to Israel, when you see the Messiah show up and do this, when you see this going on, the, he, he, your God is among you. Isaiah 35, I just quoted the verse, and the reference slipped my mind. Isaiah 35, verse 4. Say to them that are of fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. And just on you go for ten verses. Here's... So when the Messiah, now what happens is, is people read Isaiah 35 and they instantly go to the second coming because he's going to do the same thing in the second coming and they miss the first coming. And that's where Paul talks about they've stumbled, but they didn't fall. They, miss, they have an opportunity, go back to Mark 3, they have an opportunity right now in the earthly ministry What's John the Baptist preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ, repent, for the kingdom of... Twelve, repent, the kingdom of... And they reject him, so now that offer has been withdrawn. And now, Mark 3 and following, we're going to begin to see that uh, their, the response here by the Lord to the rejection... And that response in verse 30, 28, 29, and 30 is that they're the nation of Israel. Now, again, when you talk about, when we talk about this, just like Romans 9, when we talk about Romans 9, we're not talking about the individual justification. We're talking about the national, the nation of Israel. Because 
The only response that God ever accepted from man is faith. Faith in the word of God to them. When Noah was told to build the ark, he responded by what? By faith, and he built the ark. There was no, Christ died for your sins. There was no, keep the law, and you're good to go. There was what? Build an ark. It's like, okay, so what did he do? By faith, trusting the word of God, went and did. But that came from a heart of faith. So as we begin to kind of go through this, we, what happens is, is when you understand the dispensation of grace in Paul's gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, we instantly think that's how everybody was. And it isn't so, okay? When Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain, you know, the reference is really in James 2 there. But when he did that, how did he do it? He did it by faith. But it, that's Genesis 22, but in Genesis 15, when he believed God about a coming seed and a son, his faith was counted unto him for righteousness. So you've got to kind of keep some of that in mind as we go through. Anyway, get back in Mark 3, because we've got a, a lot to plow through here. So the, the, the response here by the Lord is to that apostate nation. And that apostate nation is now in jeopardy of eternal damnation, of being completely cut off from the covenants and the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, the fathers, David, all of them. They're, they're in danger of losing that. So there is a rejection of Christ here by the nation as a whole. Now, verse 31 this is what happens next. Then there came his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. Now, this is going to take us back to verse 20 and 21. And the multitude cometh together, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. So, they see everything he's doing, and, and it's almost like they looked at him and said, dude, you need to relax, calm down. I mean, he's healing left and right. He sees them coming. It, it, again, it's, he never, he's God, so he doesn't get weary, okay? But you're seeing his compassion on the masses. But they say he's nuts. So then they go and they send word to his family, who's in Nazareth. Now, 22 to 30 happens while they're waiting for who? Mom and, the, and, and siblings to show up. Okay? So they, they go back to Nazareth, get mom, and, you know, maybe mom can talk some sense into him. You know, he can't even eat bread. I mean, they're just, he's just working himself to, to the bone, as they said. Actually, the, the, big, the big thing in Christianity a couple years ago was don't burn out. You know, right before COVID hit, in 2018, 2019, all the, uh, I was I get a lot of pastor stuff, and they're like, "Oh man, if you're kind of burn out, you know, take a break and do, you know." And I'm like, "Burn out? <laughs> okay, you know." But then COVID hit, and then everybody burned out. And it's just nuts. But because of the pressure, because you know, you know, how do you handle such a delicate type topic, if you will? His family has arrived now, and again, they are worried about him. 
They hear the charges of him being demon-possessed. They see everything that's going on. <laughs> they, his friends are like, he's crazy. He's, he's, he's beside himself. He's going nuts. So they show up, verse 32, And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold thy mother and thy brethren, without, uh, without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked around about on them which sat about him, and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, that's interesting how he deals with mom and siblings, brothers and sisters. Because what he's doing here is he's beginning to, again, pull back from the apostate nation and really, he's making a point here that all of these natural relationships that I have with my family, there's my mom and my stepbrothers and stepsisters. You see all of them. They go, yep, we got them. He says, they're really not my real family. My real family, verse 35, is going to do what? Do the will of God. See? So he's making a contrast here. A, he's, make, he's drawing a line in the sand, if you will. It's not enough to be the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there's also now a need for a spiritual component to be taken care of, okay? So you have this, this thing here that's kind of creep in now, topic-wise, that's going to be really an underlining issue now all the way out. We, we, we did this, if you look, you don't have to go over there, Isaiah 5, we're talking about this Sunday with the four trees. In Isaiah 5, he talks about Israel being the vine, the vine tree, the national life. Here they are. But the problem is they've become apostate. So you've got this element inside of them that John the Baptist has been calling out. Repent. I read an article by a guy that John the Baptist didn't do anything. He was just the the preparer of the way. No, he's out there calling out. He's out baptizing, and he's beginning to develop what will later become called that little flock. Now, to get into the little flock, is the door is water baptism. The Lord comes, the twelve, and they go out and say what? Repent. Leave that untoward generation. Get in. As they're developing the little flock, they're moving that. What they're doing, what he's saying is, it's not enough to be a descendant of Abraham. You remember in John when they say, we're of the seed of Abraham. Boom. And the Lord says, no, you're really, the devil's your father. <laughs> huh? How? Spiritually. Because what do they not get? 
they don't understand they're still sons of Adam. They've had this privileged position all down through time, and now they're beginning to learn that, you know what, it's not enough. So here, when he talks about mom and dad, mom and dad, mom and sisters and brethren, the brothers, it's not enough to be physically related to me. You have to be spiritually related by believing the word that I'm preaching, the, the message I'm preaching. So for Israel, it's, again, it takes both that descendants issue to be handled and the spiritual issue. That's why in John, he'll tell them you have to be born again. And everybody pops a gorg when you talk about that. Well, well, come over to John 1. Just, just notice, it, it's, it's just, that's, again, the issue of them having that spiritual component, the need for it, is literally the focus of the gospel of John. That's, again, that's why they're so, it's such a different gospel. And when we studied John, I, we hammered that point home. But if you look at John 1, if you look at verse 11, 12, and 13 here, here's the theme of John. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He comes to a pot to Israel, but they're what? They, they don't receive him. But as many as received him. So how did they receive him? They believed his word, his message. They believed when he said and did and preached, repent, the, God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they believed him. They believed John. They believe the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe the 12 as he's establishing the, the little flock. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to, notice, become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He, they received him. The little flock believe his words. And what are they going to get to be? They get, they get the power to become sons of God. The ones who are going to be the true Israel of God is this group right here, the little flock, believing remnant, Moses calls them, that righteous nation, Moses calls them. Verse 13, which were born not of blood, okay, not about being a descendant of Abraham. That's the blood. What, where, how, do you, how do you know what your descendants are? You guys, Ancestry and .com and all that stuff, and you send them in a little DNA, and they tell you everything, you know? I did that. Linda wanted to know, so I go over and do it. I'm a Heinz 57 catch-up kind. I got a little bit of everything. And we go over here, and then we break out the books for, uh, that my relatives have put together, and you know what? They don't match. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I'm still a Heinz 57, but in a different way. And I'm like, somebody ain't telling the truth, right? Well, not necessarily. It's just how that, those programs work. You know, Linda's 100% German. We think she does the ancestry stuff, and it, she's like 90%. Then she, you know, why? Because we all come from the same blood. We all, you know, we all come from the same source. But notice... Not of blood. So not being, it's not, not going to, you're not going to get in this by being a descendant of Abraham. Nor of the flesh. Not by some priestly activity. Okay? 
that if you go and do this, you can get in. Nor of the will of man, but of who? God. There it is. That's why Jesus Christ, again, to Nicodemus says, you must be born again. Born once as the child of Abraham, but then born again into that little flock of believers going through water baptism and getting in, John's baptism and getting in. So when you think of, so really he's, he's going to begin to talk about both issues with the nation. To be the Israel of God, you have to have both. And you've got to nail that down. Uh, if you come over to Romans 2, uh, Paul shines great light on this subject. Uh, that's why it's very interesting when people don't recognize Paul's uh, unique ministry and message because he literally shines great lights on some of Israel's program. If you look there at, at Romans 2, you start in verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth, rest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. They, they go around and uh, make a big deal about who they are. The problem is, verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written, for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou break or be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. <laughs> Paul, what he's doing to them is he's like, look, in proving the point that everybody's a sinner, there is no difference any longer, he says, you guys boast about being Jewish, and yet the very law you boast that you got, you don't even keep it. So what have you done? You've blasphemed the name of God among the Gentiles. Verse 28, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. Again, by the way, these two verses, this whole section is about who? Jews, not Gentiles. And what happens is, as the Calvinist theology guys get rolling on it, or the, I shouldn't say, well, they're Calvinists, but Reformed theology guys, covenant theology, they get rolling into stuff and say, well, we're really the spiritual Jew here because it's one inwardly. And, uh, and they know to be a real Jew, you have to be more than the physical descendant of Abraham. You have to now be, you have to have this spiritual component taken care of. And again, that's why the Lord would say to them, go back to Mark 3 now, to them, hey, look, you've got, you are of your father, the devil, when he's talking to... Because spiritually, where do they get their, their marching orders? Well, from the satanic policy of evil. So, these guys here, what they're learning and what the Lord is going to start, really, from here moving forward, is that issue of there's two pieces to the puzzle. Yes, you have to be a descendant. But, yes, you also have to understand you're a sinner... And you need a Savior. You need a Messiah. You need a Redeemer. And eventually, when he gets over here and they kill him, that's where Peter in Acts 2, Acts 3, he just says, you murdered him. 
I mean, he just goes and nails them. And that's why. Now, you'll notice something in Mark 3. If you look at verse 35, okay? For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. His family, verse 31, then his brethren and his mother, they come. And what happens here is that, and really what Mark 33, Mark 3.35 does is it is just destroys Mariology. The Roman Catholic, really anybody. Because notice what is said here. My what? My brother, my sister, and my mom. Now what happens is, come over to Luke. Uh, well, you're in Mark. Look at Mark 6, and then we'll go over to Luke 2. What happens, you know, yeah, yeah, look at Mark 6, verse 3. So what happens then is the Roman Catholic Bible and Roman Catholic sympathizing Protestants change the Bible from brethren to cousin. Now, the word for cousin is in no Greek text, but they make their little jog and they do their little thing. Look at 6.3. Is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon. So there's four stepbrothers. And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now, notice sisters is plural. So we have at least what? Two? Three? So let's give them three. Mary had seven other children than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the thing there in Mark and Matthew in the Bible is about her, this is her firstborn is so important. Okay? So now come over to Luke 2. When he, so he's got relatives. He's got siblings, brothers and sisters. If you look at Mark, Luke 2, uh, here... Uh, when the Lord goes, he's a young child here, and uh, verse uh, 40, uh, 48, they're up at the temple. And when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye know that I was must be about my father's business? And again, the capital F there, God the Father. So what he's saying here is, is let's hang on here, Mom. Let's be clear about who I am. That's really what he's saying. Now he's a young man. He's 12 years old, uh, and so forth. You know, you know, as we go through this, and you know what? Let's be clear about who I am over to chapter 11, Luke 11. And it's fascinating that at every turn, there's this issue about his family. Uh, Luke 11, and look at verse 27. Luke 11, 27. And it came to pass, as they spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. 
But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Isn't that interesting? In Luke 1, Mary is, Blessed art thou amongst women, highly favored. And you know what the Lord's saying there? Don't bless her. Bless the believing remnant. Bless the believer over here. The blessing, it's the people who believe the word and keep it and do that's the critical juncture. Look over at John 2. John chapter 2. The first miracle of the Lord in his earthly ministry here, John 2. The Lord uses a phrase in dealing with his mom that is very, he only says it two times to her this way. Here in John 2 and later in John 19 from the cross. Look, John 2 verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, I don't know of anybody that would call their mother woman. <laughs> and if I did, I'd be picking my teeth up off the ground. But he does, but he does for a reason, because of who she represents, nation of Israel and so forth. But he's, there's an issue here of he's rebuking her. What does he say? Mine hour is not yet what? Come. See, the, 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 the miracle represents the blessings of the kingdom and the restoration of the kingdom. It's not time to do that yet. It's not time to go and do. So he, it's, it's a rebuke here. It's not time to do these things. By the way, look at verse 5. John 2, verse 5. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he, now who would that be? That would be Christ, saith unto you, what? Do it. Now, the theology out there is that, you know, Mary, uh, she's going to tell you what to do and we go do that. But what did she just say? Don't say, don't do what I'm telling you, you do what he says. What's she doing? She's recognizing who he is. Come down to verse 17. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now, that quote comes out of Psalms 69. And what happens, come back to Psalms 69. Psalms 69. Because Psalm 69, verse number 8 and 9 here, are verses that the Bible correctors have not found yet, and they have not messed with. It's very fascinating when you get to looking at how the new Bibles and all that stuff changes, that they don't catch everything. Do you know that in, your, in a New King James Bible, they say in Hebrews that everyone that came out with Moses rebelled? Okay? In their own Bible, you can then go back into the Old Testament and prove that Hebrews, is, in their Bible, is a lie. Because when, when Moses and them went up to the land and the 12 spies go in, two of those guys didn't rebel. 
Joshua and Caleb. But the Hebrews, the passage in the New King James says they did because they leave a word out. And I'm like, wait a second. Then this isn't what they say it's supposed to be. But you know what, though? When you go look at the NIV, the ASV, the RSV, the, you know, all, the, all the, the alphabet soup, you know what? They all say the same thing. Why? Because they've got something to you know, approve, I guess. But Psalm 69 is not the, they haven't messed with this one yet. And I say yet because eventually they'll find it. Look at verse 9, 69.9. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Now, in John 2, when the disciples quote that, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, through the disciples quoting that in John 2, is, is saying that the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, the me there is the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Psalm 69.9, for the zeal of thy house hath eaten me up, is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. The reproach is falling on me. But look up one more verse in verse 8. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. So if 9 is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, then what is 8 a reference, or who is 8 a reference to? The Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, the whole of Psalm 69, called the Reproach Psalm, is a reference about the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you come back to Mark, where we're at here, don't miss the fact that you've got mom and the brothers and the sisters and everybody show up. In verse 35, literally, and this information literally just pokes a big old hole in the issues of Mariology, they call it. Uh, you can also do that with Peter being the first pope because he was married. How do you know that? The Lord healed his mother-in-law. And in order to have a mother-in-law, you have to be married. Uh, you know, why have a mother-in-law when you can't have the benefits of a wife? It's pretty, or a husband, I guess. That's pretty tough. So anyway, back to Mark. So in Mark here, after all of that, you've got him... Withdrawing, he begins to speak in parables, verse 22 there, uh, 23. And now mom and the, the family shows up, so he says, look, it's not enough to be physical descendants. You also have to have the spiritual issue. Then he says, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, and he began again to teach by the seashine. Notice, begin again. He started in verse 23, and now he's got interrupted, handles that. He begins again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine. Now, I, I just want to take really the rest here and just kind of talk about the parables. And then we'll get into the parables and break them out so forth next time. If you come over into verse 33, Mark 4, verse 33. Mark verse uh, 4, 33. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. When he is talking to the apostate crowd, He's only going to talk to them in a parable. So he doesn't talk to them outside of the parable language. 
to the little flock, the believing remnant, he expounds it. He's actually going to explain the parable of the sower here to them. So that in Mark, in Matthew 13, he explains the parable of the sower and the wheat and the tares so they can understand how to decipher the parable. Okay, we, only, we have the one here, uh, and then he's going to talk to them about the, the uh, candle, and he's going to use another one here. So when he talks, so the crowd, the multitude, he's going to veil it now. He's going to hide it. And then he's going to take the little flock, explain to them how to understand the parable how, and, and, and so that they can get it. And, and really the reason why he teaches in parables is now going to become very important. Now, a parable, para, parallel. So literally what it is, is it is to take an illustration of something and to lay it next to a spiritual truth. In other words, if you can understand this, then you can understand this. You can understand the physical illustration, sower. In the sower, there are four grounds, four types of grounds. Three reject, one get it. Now, what's going to happen, just FYI, as we go through this, is he's literally explaining to the little flock why he's moving away from dealing with the multitudes and apostate Israel. Why? Three out of four don't get it. I'm not spending my time. I'm going to spend my time with you that do get it. You follow? So there's a reason behind it. So he's going to take them and he's going to conceal the, uh, in Matthew they're called the, the mysteries of the kingdom. He's going to conceal, hide some information, and then to the believing remnant he's going to make some things known. Okay. 410. Look, 410. <laughs> Sounds like a shotgun shell. Oh, it is. <laughs> 410. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And again, the parable of the sower starts in verse 3, goes down to verse 9. And now he's going to explain to the little flock about what's happening out there among the multitude. They have heard him preach how, do, how they are responding to what he's saying. How do, so the little flock looks at this, and they're like, does he get what's going on out here? And what he's going to do is say, yes, I do. Three out of four aren't getting it. And really, they're here for other reasons. So the disciple, so he's going to do this so that the disciples know that he knows what he knows, which is what's going on. Okay? So, if, by the way, if you look at verse 11, and he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. For you, for who? Little flock, believing remnant. It's given for you to know. The others, they don't get it. So the speaking in parables, in mainline Christianity today, if you read a book on parables and stuff, they say that Christ was a great storyteller, and he's doing this so that everybody can understand. But what did he just say? His own word says what? No, they don't get it, you get it. 
and by the way, here's how we're going to, I'm going to teach you how to read the parable, you know. So the little flocker to get it, the other, the multitude out there, the apostate Israel component, they don't get it. And that's literally, again, I, just amazing to me what he says, and yet, you know, the rest of the world doesn't. If you look at verse 13, then he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know, notice, all parables? The sower soweth the what? The word. So what is the seed? The word. So we're going to begin to make some things as we go through. So the two parables here, he's going to explain. And he does it in Matthew 13. Run over to Matthew 13 just real quick. Matthew 13. The Lord gives seven mystery parables of the kingdom of God. And mystery, not dispensation of grace, revelation to Paul mystery. Mystery is in what? Secret. Something that was not made known now. And what he's going to do, by the way, there's seven of them. 13.1. Whoops. Get there. 13.1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seashore, the seaside. Now, that's where we're at in Mark 4. So four of these are outside the house. Three of them are inside the house. And when he gave it to him, he uses two of them. The, the parable of the sower starts there in verse 18. And then the parable of the wheat and the tare, which starts in verse 24. And then he, he uses them to explain how then they can understand the design of the parables, what's going on, and begin to make the cross-references and everything. That's what he did, and that's why he said there in Mark 4.13, how then will ye know all parables? And he begins to use this template here, and uh, he uses that so that they can understand everything. Now, again, the mystery of the kingdom. So just kind of notice what's happening here, the, the, the mysteries of the kingdom. Uh, you, you can go back to Mark 4. Uh, there when he talks there about in verse uh, uh, 11 about the mysteries of the kingdom. When he talks about the mystery of the kingdom, when the Lord shows up, he says, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Okay? That's the message out to everybody. The leaders reject. He begins to withdraw back up. And he goes into mystery language. He moves into an area now, and he, he's going to do it in the parables, so that the unbelieving element doesn't get it, and the believing element does get it. But what he's, what's going on here is he wants some information kept secret. Mystery, secret. This group isn't going to get it. If you look there at verse 12, uh, Mark 4.12. Then seeing, they may see, and what? Not perceive. And hearing, they may hear, and what? Not understand. Lest at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. Again, that's that hardening of the heart, Proverbs 29, and so forth. But the issue is, is there is some secret information now that's going to come about 
and the Lord need the He's going to literally turn to the little flock and say, "This is for you to get because you're the ones. I came into my own; they received me not. But as many as received, you're going to get the power to become the sons of God." I'm, so there's a movement here that the apostate nation is not to get; they're not to understand. Because at this moment in Mark 4, where we're at, in the life of Christ, the repent is now going to be delayed. The kingdom is at hand. Is now go There's going to be a delay. And the delay is so that we can establish the little flock. This is how Israel's history has always been. You think about Moses... Moses goes up, kills the Egyptian, and then what? He had to run to the back end of the wilderness for 40 years. Then he came and delivered. So they knew a deliverer was coming. Why did he kill the Egyptian, do you remember? Because he thought he was Israel's deliverer. Well, he is, just wrong time. There's some things that had to happen. So off he goes, he comes back. Ten plagues, that had to happen. Ten plagues represent the ten gods in, of Egypt represent the ten gods of all pagan uh, theology and religion. And what does God prove? I'm bigger than they are. And he destroys them. Well, that all, and then he got to take them out of the land. So there's always a delay. So the parables, the reason that he moves into the parables is because of the unbelief of apostate Israel that group of people that don't believe him. They've rejected him. And they're not going to stay with it. They're not going to trust it. They're, they've completely rejected who he is. So because they were, they were rejecting him, because they weren't getting it, now the, the point is the at-hand presentation, that message is now going to be withdrawn. He's been rejected He's on his way to Calvary. That's where he's going. And he's now going to spend the rest of his time getting that little flock ready to operate and to function. Literally, in that Acts period, they've got a ministry, we'll see it here as we go, to take place. So come over to John 12. So if you think about it, he shows up, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, John the Baptist, the 12, all of there. And what's happened? They've rejected him, rejected, rejected, rejected. So he withdraws, withdraws the at-hand presentation because he's been rejected. He's on his way to cross, to the cross. He's going to go through the cross, death, burial, and resurrection. Now the kingdom that was supposed to have been coming, it's at hand, has been postponed. He's got to go to Cal Cross first. So he, there's a reaction by the Lord here because of their unbelief. Uh, John 12, look at verse 37. John 12, 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, Yet they believed not on him. That, now watch this. The reason that they don't believe is that the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which, when, which he spake, 
Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's Isaiah 53, verse 1. Isaiah, so they don't believe, they reject him, so in order for what to happen? Isaiah 53, to be fulfilled. Verse 39, therefore they could not believe. And again, that's Proverbs 29, 1, you know, the, uh, that, they, <laughs> that uh, hardening of the heart, you know, that much reproof hardeneth the heart. And again, that hardening of the heart happens when there's a negative response to the word of God, not a positive response. Verse 40, he hath blinded their, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 39, therefore they could not believe because that Isaiah, Isaiah said again, and it's Isaiah 6, he hath blinded their eyes and hardeneth their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him and so forth. So, this is where we are in Mark 4 and what's happening. There's a judgment from God. And the judgment of God on apostate Israel is enough. You're not going to believe this. And because you're not, because you've rejected the word from John the Baptist, from the, from the Lord Jesus Christ, and then again they're going to reject the twelve and the little flock, what's happening? I'm withdrawing the offer. And now you're going to have to go, so go back there to Mark 4, so now you're going to end up going through some judgment because now you are doing what Isaiah said, Isaiah, Isaiah by the way, it's Isaiah 53, 1, and uh, Isaiah 6, verse 10. Okay, that's those references. Because the prophets had said what's going to happen. They're going to do this. You're doing it, and it's being fulfilled. Now, look at Mark 4. Uh, again here, verse 11. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Again, the reason why they, he's going to begin to speak in the parable is so that, well, verse 12, seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand. Again, he's not the great storyteller to make everybody see. There's an issue of hiding, of, of hiding some information that the believers are to have and the unbelievers are not going to get. Now, go back there to Matthew 13. Because there's something interesting in this. We, I think we did this when we came through Matthew 13. But I just want you, to, again, to see an issue here. Matthew 13, look at verse 10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of, God, of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and, who, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. So again, they're not to get it, you're to have it. Okay? And again, verse 14, and, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Again, there's Isaiah 6, verse 10. 
and, and, and following. Now, come over, if you will, to, well, look if you, well, shoot, you, you're in Matthew, right? Stick something in Matthew and run back to Mark 4, just real quick here, and catch a phrase. They don't get the information, you do, again, because he, he is, he's at the point where the judgment of God now has concluded apostate Israel in unbelief. They're done, okay? They won't hear it. They're not going to hear it. They won't see it. They're not going to. They've rejected. So we're going to change the method of how I'm going to teach now, okay? So when we study, the parables, then we have to remember that they're given in that light, in a light of a delay now in the coming kingdom, and that the preaching of the kingdom at hand has been delayed. It's been withdrawn. And it's not going to immediately appear. You got Mark 4? Hold on there and go to Luke 19. Sorry. Just, just look at Luke 19.11. Because this fits into that. Luke 19, verse 11, he looks at them and he said, and, they, and, uh, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should what? Immediately appear. See, they're not catching what's going on. And what's happening is, is in the parables, the little flock is beginning to understand, you know what? There's a delay. And that delay is going to have to work out until it's time, and, and we've got to be ready. And what he's literally going to talk about here with them is some information now as we go through some of these parables, especially in Mark, but in the other Gospels, where he's literally laying out the timeline for his crucifixion, the axe period, and then that ultimate kingdom out here, uh, the 70th week of Daniel, his second coming, and then the establishment of his kingdom. And that's what's happening. And he, again, he's explaining the time. There's a timeline here that is going to run between his first coming and his second coming out over there what's going to happen because what's happened it's been delayed it should have come those passages and we'll get to them in mark as we go through that if they had received john the baptist he would have been elijah one of the two witnesses and then the lord would have been moses that prophet but because you rejected then they were that's why John, in Matthew 3, he comes in the spirit of Elijah. Because if you had believed, he would have been. But he's not, because you didn't. So you've got a lot of that going on here. And, re and reality is, is that, uh, come back to Mark 4. Uh, hopefully you've still got Matthew 13. Because, <laughs> oh man, the time, I just, we'll just see this and then we'll call it. Look at Matt, Mark uh, 4.11. Notice how he talks about the mystery of the kingdom of God. Okay? And 
verse 26, Mark 4, 26. And he said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should, should cast seed to the ground, the mustard seed there, okay? The mysteries of the kingdom of God. The kingdom, again, which is what John the Baptist, they've all been preaching, is coming. It is a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic, Abrahamic kingdom. Okay? There's nothing spiritual about it. It's a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic, and Abrahamic covenant kingdom. That's who they are. So he's going to talk here now to them about, by the way, it's going to be headquarters in Jerusalem. It's going to take the salvation of God to the whole planet through the nation of Israel. This has nothing to do about the church, the body of Christ. Okay? We aren't in any of this. It's not about a spiritual kingdom. It, it's not about a mystery form of the kingdom. I'm trying to think of all the goofball ideas that float around. It's not about one thing being suspended and the other thing. It's about the Lord looking and saying, this message of repent for the kingdom is at hand has now been delayed. And here's why. And here's the evidence of it. Okay? So Jesus Christ is going to give them the mysteries of the kingdom. The mystery, they already know about the kingdom. So the kingdom isn't the mystery. They've been talking about that since Abraham. Actually, probably Genesis 3.15, way back. Okay? So actually with Adam in the garden, you're going to have dominion and subdue. So this isn't anything new as far as that kingdom coming, but there is some new information for a new group of people within that nation, that little flock. If you're not little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to do what? Give you the kingdom. Why? They're producing the fruit that's meat for repentance. So, there, so there's some new information here for some new people who are the real Israel of God, there's a new relationship. There's, all, there's a whole new thing coming on board here. And again, the reason for it, the parables is so that they can understand between first coming and second coming what's going to happen. You remember the parable of the nobleman. He sets, he leaves, he goes off, he gets uh, the kingdom, and what does he do? Comes back. So what do we have? The Lord dies. He's ascended up into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. What do they meanwhile do? They kill the servants. They, they, they kill the husband. They kill all. And then he does what? He returns with the kingdom. So they get a timeline. We'll look at that as we get to it. I want you to notice some ver, uh, Mark 4 there. Look at verse 26 again. So is the kingdom of God. Now, come to Matthew 13. We'll do this, and then we'll just kind of pick up with the sower and everything next time. Look at Matthew 13. Matthew, depicting the Lord as king, is very interested in the legal stuff. Okay? Mark, not so much. Mark is more interested in the servant. So the two parables that Mark gives, the sower and the mustard seed, Matthew gets down into the legal legalese of it, and he begins to 
Well, here's what the documents say, <laughs> if you will. Um, it was interesting. I was watching that trial today in Wisconsin there with that kid and everything, and because I had uh, noticed uh, a thing on uh, Facebook about, hey, the judge really gave the guy a hard time. So I went back and watched. Why? Because the prosecutor stepped out of line. He was wrong legally. Okay? Matthew, he just, I'm sorry, Matthew says, here's why he was wrong. Here's the, the legal, here's the, 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 the legal, the legislature. Mark says, he's a servant and going. Because watch what Matthew does. Look at verse 24, Matthew 13, verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in the field, his field. See that this, the kingdom of God is, I'm sorry, the kingdom of heaven. By the way, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, same terminology. Same means the same thing. Is likened unto, verse 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed. Verse 33, Another parable spake he unto them, The parable, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. Verse uh, 44, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. Verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. Verse 47, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. You see how the... King, how Matthew is going to lay out that the kingdom of heaven is like this. So in these six uh, parables here, he's describing the kingdom to them. All right? In Mark, he only has two parables listed of the seven, by the way. The sower and the mustard seed. Mark, Matthew gives you all 13, all, 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 13, all seven, Matthew 13. In the first parable of Matthew 13, the sower, he doesn't say, if you look there at 13, uh, 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and off he goes. Notice he doesn't say anything about the kingdom of heaven is like unto. Because in the first parable, in the parable of the sower, He's describing the Lord himself. So the Lord's doing the speaking. The Lord is describing himself. He introduces all the other ones by describing his ministry. Here he says, this is me. I'm the sower. And this is what I'm doing. So when you come back to Mark 1, I'm sorry, Mark 4, and he starts there in verse 3, hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. Who's the sower? The Lord is. And he's going to go out now and sow. He's going to broadcast it, by the way, throw it out there. He, I mean, we've got big tractors and everything today, but he doesn't do that. He's throwing it everywhere, every place he turns, and he's describing himself as a sower broadcasting the seed what's he out doing seeking the lost sheep of the house of Israel and he's out there sowing the word he's he's scattering the seed for the little flock that's who he's looking for the believers by the way the seed 
if you look at verse 14, the sower soweth the what? The word. So what's the seed? The word. Exactly. Matthew, Matthew calls it the word of the kingdom. Mark calls it the word. Luke calls it the word of God. They're all the same. So he's out sowing the gospel of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We need the fruits that are meat for repentance. We've got to get going. And he's broadcasting that out. to the, And he's got this multitude following him, chasing him down. So much you can't even have lunch. And what's really going on with the multitude? Verse 4. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30, 60, and some 100. Isn't that interesting? So you got four grounds, four different grounds. Here he is. He's throwing the word of the gospel of the kingdom. And what's it landing on? Well, it's landing on uh, stony ground, thorny ground, wayside, and then good ground. Verse 9, and he said unto them, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they came to him, and what did they say? <laughs> Explain that, would you? Look at verse 13. He said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. Now watch. And these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown, but when they had heard, who showed up? Satan can't cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So, but in verse 4, who showed up? The fowls of the air. So the fowls of the air equals Satan. So that's why all through Scripture, birds are not good deals. <laughs> okay, by the way, in pagan, birds aren't good deeds, dudes either. Revelation 18, a picture of the satanic activity, the demonic activity is birds, and it's a fowls. The stony ground, verse 16, and these are, are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who... When they had heard the word, immediately received it with gladness. Guess what? They got it. Problem is, verse 17, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterwards, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Very interesting. He goes, we got some of them, but the problem is, is when the persecution showed up, they're gone. Now, that violates, if you endure to the end, you are what? Saved. So now we're into a, another component here. Verse 18, and those that are, uh, that which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of, his, of riches, and the lust of other things, entereth and choke the word, and it become unfruitful. So then you got the words. So you've got 
some things happening here to the multitude. You've got the devil, you've got the flesh, and then you've got the world come along and gets them, causes them to not believe. Now, verse 20, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So there's the believing remnant. So when you look at this issue here, he's laid out a lot of information in describing one of the parables. Because in Israel's program, a component that is now being introduced is the thing in Matthew 24 there about enduring to the end to be saved. Endure to the end of what? Where are we going? We're going to the kingdom. What's going on? We got a timeline to get there. And we've got to endure down through it. Some are going to get it and say, yes, we got it. And then as soon as the persecution hits, what do they do? Peter out. Now, again, we're, we're, we're talking about them inheriting this kingdom. We're not talking about the personal justification aspect. We're talking about the, in, the, there to inherit the kingdom. And that's where sometimes some of this gets lost in some of the weeds. Because if you're going to inherit a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic, Abrahamic covenant, then what do you have to have? You have to have literal, physical, visible activity going on because that's what kind of people they are to get it. By the way, what kind of people are we? Spiritual people. Okay? We're blessed with all spiritual blessings. The only physical component that you and I lack or will have is our new bodies. And that's just a requirement to function in the, in the heavenly places. Our baptism, theirs is water, ours is spirit. So it's a different, so that's why we're not here. They have, by the way, if you're going to endure to the end, you're going to be personally justified. Because what's your positive response of faith to the word of God? We're going to go do this. Here he is. We believe him. We trust him. And we're going to have, they're going to have that circumcision of the heart. That's why you've got, (laughs) I heard a man, a, a preacher say one time, Israel's salvation package and I like that because it's two components in it the physical aspect physical and then their spiritual their personal justification issues and I'm like yeah it is a package deal because they they have to have both okay so we'll pick up in this because in verse 21 he goes into another parable and we'll go back and look down through some of this I kind of dumped a lot on you here tonight But they have to have the physical, because it's a physical kingdom, they're inheriting a physical kingdom, and they have to have that, but they also have to have the personal justification, the spiritual issues resolved. That's why Jeremiah 31 and and Hebrews over there in chapter 8, when he talks about the new covenant, the component of the new covenant is God says, I will forgive you, I will clean you up, I will baptize you and I will then give you my law write it in your heart so you don't have the struggle anymore that they get a taste of it back through here they get the real deal there okay all right so again the sower here and what the Lord's doing with the parables is he's going to begin to demonstrate why and how he uses the parable 
But then he's also going to demonstrate why so many in Israel are really unbelieving. They're rejecting the word. And he begins to move that. And again, only those who believe, only those who receive him, receive the message, receive the word, are the ones who are going to inherit the kingdom when he returns. Which, again, that's the whole purpose of that first coming, is to get that people out. The 70th week of Daniel is described as a rod of my indignation. He uses the Antichrist to remove the dross, to remove the ten, to remove the rebellious people. And that's lit- so that over here, when he comes back and he rescues his kingdom, his people, it's the literal, true Israel of God. It's that believing remnant, the overcomer Revelation talks about. So the, the, the parables have to do with the kingdom and the fact that it's no longer at hand. It's been delayed. And then they're going to tell the little flock about the timing of between the first coming and the second coming and why it's going to happen and what's happening and so forth. And so, really, that's really what we're, we're kind of hammering towards, okay? All right, I kept you longer than I had anticipated, but it's good to, to see all that. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the insight into your word and to look at it and to see uh, ultimately what your plan and goal is, which is that literal, physical, visible, earthly Davidic kingdom to be established here on the earth and those that will be your people in that day. And we rejoice in that because we know that's that's the case and that's the plan just as we know your plan for us will one day be uh, the result. In your name we pray. Amen.